0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, where we interview people who have experienced drug addiction or who are working to end drug addiction, some of whom are both. Today's episode is episode number 261, which puts us into our sixth year, beginning of our sixth year of podcasting weekly we feel that it's going to take not just a village, but really everyone to help end this addiction pandemic that exists not only in the United States, but across the world. And that is our goal is to help try and do that. It's going to take everyone. And if you think it doesn't concern you because you're not personally addicted, or you don't have a loved one or friend that's addicted, you need to think again. It affects every single one of us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and please give us a good rating because then Google picks up on it when people search for help for addiction. Also check out our YouTube channel and once again please subscribe and give us a thumbs up on our videos. We have an interview today and today we are interviewing a gentleman who is known as Big Al Zolek. He's a retired American basketball player best known for his time spent on the Washington Generals. For those of you who don't know who the Washington Generals are, they were the traveling exhibition team who played against and always lost to the Harlem Globetrotters. He played just for the 1974-75 season, one in which the generals lost all 245 contests against the Globetrotters. Zoellick became a favorite among the Globetrotters and was selected as the unwitting participant in many of their predetermined entertainment plays. Right after college, Zolix tried out for the Scranton Apollos, but he then came upon the Washington Generals when he went to see the Globetrotters in Philadelphia, and he got the phone number of the manager and joined up. After his exhibition basketball career ended, he moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he became a bartender. But then a tragedy in his life led him to begin to self-medicate, and he ended up using $1,000 worth of cocaine a day. Now clean and sober, he has a new nickname. It's Al Hugs Not Drugs Zolick. Let's talk to Al Zolick. Al Zolick. I guess I should say, Big Al Zolik. Thank you yes. so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and tell your story.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: So take us back. Um, we're obviously going to talk about one of the coolest part of your uh, parts of your career when you were with the Washington Generals, but take us back to where you grew up. What what it was like where you grew up and what your you know what your family was like.
1: Well, we were sort of like the Brady Bunch. Um, my mother, uh, had myself and my brother, Joe and my stepfather, uh, had my, had four other siblings. See, when, when I was about two weeks old, the, uh, my biological father, who I thought was, uh, left us. Mm. So I never saw him and never met him. So my mother got remarried and it was like two families being brought together. And, uh, you know, we weren't really that close, but me and my brother, Joe, uh, uh were very close. Uh, he was, he's my biological brother. And, um, you know, I started actually playing basketball, I guess, in uh, when I was in fourth grade. And it's a funny story because um, uh, I was going from a, a group called Weblos to Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, w- I didn't want to be a Boy Scout. So what I would do is I would put my basketball stuff on underneath my Boy Scout outfit, go and play in a league in Woodbury, New Jersey, and then come home like I went to the Boy Scout meeting. So... Uh, my mother found out because I, I scored a whopping four points one day. And back then, you know, they would put your names in the paper and all. And she started questioning me about it. And I said, Mom, I don't want to play, I go to be a Boy Scout. I want to be a basketball player. So she said, OK. So I started playing basketball. So uh, fourth, fifth grade. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, the coach kept me around because I was funny. Yeah, I was never any good. And then my, my sophomore year, I was 17th man on a basketball, JV basketball team, never played. My junior year, I dressed varsity and I played two quarters JV. My senior year, I became the star of the team because I worked real hard. When everybody else was down the shore swimming and going out with their girlfriends, I was running steps up at a football stadium, lifting weights, trying to become a great basketball player, which enabled me to go into college. I went to a junior college for two years and we were third in the East in junior colleges. Then I transferred to a school called Glassboro State, which is now Rowan University in Jersey. And we went to the national championships two years in a row. And then after that, um, I took a young kid over to Philadelphia to see the Globetrotters play and uh, in the Spectrum. And I saw a guy on the Globetrotters who I knew. His name was Gene Hutchins. And I talked to him. He said, listen, call Red Klotz, who was the owner of the Washington Generals. I did. I got a tryout, made the team, and I ended up going on tour with the Harlem Globetrotters. Now, the funny thing is we went from April 15th, uh, I mean, October 15th to April 15th, Seven nights a week in a different city every night throughout the United States and Canada. Wow. April sixth, April sixteenth, we flew to Copenhagen. We were in Sweden, Denmark, Belgium, Italy, and England. And every place, like in New York, we played in front of eighty-eight thousand people in a weekend. And um, you know, so I, I, I call it a million-dollar experience without the million because we didn't make much money. Right. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we, we you know, we, a lot of people. You know, we, we sold out wherever we went. Uh, over in Italy, we even had a fist fight right on the court with the Globetrotters. And it was kind of funny because our their guy went in for a layup. Our guy fouled him. He turned around and punched our guy in the mouth. Both be- both benches cleared. They were out there fighting on the court, and people were clapping. They were clapping in the stands because they thought it was part of the show, but it was real. So I have, I have all these different kinds of stories. You know, it's just that they have to hang microphones from the ceiling so we would watch our language and things like that were going on. But we had a record of no wins and 245 losses in one year.
0: Wow. I mean, that's, that's some kind of a record there, Al. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm known as
1: a loser, but yes.
0: But I think the Globetrotters are kind of supposed to win, aren't they? Kind of, well, sort of.
1: Yeah, but there's so many factors involved that we couldn't possibly win. First of all, the refereeing was kind of shaky. <laughs> um, and, oh, yeah, because we would go in and get killed. They wouldn't call a foul, but we would breathe on them and there would be a foul. Yeah. Um, and then they would, we would have like 10 show plays we would call them. Where, for example, at the beginning of the game, they would get the opening tip, do their little weave out front. We would cooperate with it, and they would get a basket. So we would have 10 show plays where they would get baskets. So we're spotting them 20 points a night. Um, As far as I know, we did beat the Globetrotters one time. Of course, I wasn't there. And that was uh, where the the generals were winning by one point with a few seconds left in the game. And our coach, Red Klotz, was supposed to throw the ball in. And let the globe trotters take it, go down, score, and win. But somebody said something to him that he didn't like, so he didn't go with the program. The generals won, and let me tell you, there were some meetings after that game. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it showed it, it showed that the globe trotters were human. You know, they lost the game, so big deal. But uh, you know, it, you know, people didn't come, of course, to see him lose. But that's what happened. And uh, you know, uh, as far as I know, one one victory.
0: Right, and that was 1974-75 that you played with them, right?
1: Uh, yes, I played with them on 74-75, and we, we didn't win a game when I was with them. I don't uh, know if it was because of me or what, but... Oh. No.
0: <laughs> okay, so what? why did you leave the
1: generals? Well, I gave up the generals because I was supposed to get a tryout to go over to Europe and play professionally. Oh. Um, they were going to have a tryout up in Connecticut, and I got a tryout through an agent. And uh, a week before the tryouts, they canceled the tryouts... Oh. And they held a draft. I went to a small school called Glassboro State in South Jersey. You don't get drafted from these small schools. And then uh, what I started doing after that was I started working in a, uh, a resort area in Wildwood, New Jersey, as a non-drinking bartender, bouncer. And then I would go to uh, during the winters, summers. And then I would go down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida during the winters and work as a non-drinking bouncer, bartender uh, type of a situation, back and forth, back and forth.
0: Okay, and so you're not drinking. So how did you then segue over into drugs?
1: Well, you know, um, I, I, I worked at clubs uh, because I like girls. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's but, okay. Uh, I, uh, uh, makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, well see, uh, what had happened was um, when I was working in, in Florida when I was 27 years old, uh, I got a phone call and uh, they told me that my mother was taken to the hospital with a heart attack. Oh. Um, my mother had had about 13 previous heart attacks, even though she was only 54 years old. But so I, w- I would always assume that she would go to the hospital, recover, and then come home. It always happened for the 13 previous times. Well, that night after work, about 2:30 in the morning, I uh, called uh, the Underwood Hospital in Woodbury, New Jersey, to see what you know condition of my mother. And uh, when I called there, I said, uh, "They said we don't have anyone here by that name." And right away, that aroused my curiosity. And I, I told him who I was. I had a big name in Woodbury. My brother was a police officer. So about three or four minutes later, the same woman comes back to the phone. She says, uh, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this, but your uh, your mother died a couple hours ago. Oh. And uh, my mother was my best friend. Um, you know, I, we had just a fantastic relationship. And when I got those words, I just felt the uh, the emptiest feeling that you could possibly, I worse can't even explain the emptiness that I felt in my I'm body.
0: So sorry. Oh Yeah. So
1: I, I flew up to um, Woodbury, New Jersey to go to her funeral. After her funeral, I went back down to Florida with these feelings, with these emotions, with this pain, with this emptiness in my heart. And when I went back down to Florida, I went over to one of my so-called friends' houses. My friend said here, big Al, try some of this. This will help ease the pain that you're going through, help you escape reality for about a week or two. I said to him, I said, what is it? He said, it's something called cocaine. Now, believe it or not, this is 1979. I was so straight. I never even heard of it before. But my, when my friend told me it was going to help me for a week or two, I said, why not? So I did. I took it. Now, I didn't realize that my friend lied to me. Because you see, my two-week escape turned into seven years of living hell. Wow. Seven years were stole free because it was given me by a so-called friend. Then I realized you had to buy it. Mm -hmm. Then I realized how expensive it was. And then I myself turned into a big time drug dealer, where my own personal habit grew from being free to up to $1,000 a day at times. Wow. $1,000 a day. Needless to say, I am lucky to be alive or better yet. I like to say somebody up there must really love me. The cocaine destroyed my life. Wow. And then, uh, you know, if you want me to continue, you know, uh, after, after that, uh, you know, I was flying back and forth. I was a big time dealer through my seven years. It totally destroyed me. You know, I, I, I used to have a lot of money. I used to have a lot of drugs. Did you have, have a family?
0: Other... Were you married or?
1: No, I wasn't okay. married. My mother had died. My, right. um, my, uh, stepfather had thrown me out of the house. And, uh, so a- as I was uh, do- doing these drugs and dealing the drugs, um, uh, you know, I went through a process where, you know, I had such, you know, paranoia, you know, uh, um, when I, I would be standing in my house for five or six hours in a row peeking out of my windows because I thought there was somebody mm. chasing me. There was nobody out there chasing me, of course. I couldn't make it out of my house to get something to eat because when I was reaching for that doorknob, that pipe, that straw, that bottle would call my name like, you come here and, and 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 control my life. But I didn't care. Because I love getting high and I love getting drunk. During my last two years of my seven year addiction, the drugs paralyzed me for a month and a half. Wow. I couldn't walk. You would think that that like would straighten me out physically paralyze
0: you, physically. not just mentally but and spiritually. Wow.
1: The nerves went down to my legs. I couldn't walk. And you wow. would think that that would straighten me out. It did for a month and a half because I couldn't get out of my house and get my drugs, and none of my so called friends were delivering. My so called friends. You know, where were they? They were over somebody else's house mooching for free. They didn't care if I lived. They didn't care if I died. But yet I thought they were my boys, my girls, or whatever you want to call them. So, like I said, near the end of my seven year addiction, when I ran out of money, when I ran out of drugs, when I ran out of friends, you know, I, I, I decided to, you know, look for a job because I, was, I, I didn't have any place to live, nothing to eat, nowhere to sleep. So I looked for a job, got a job, stopped doing the drugs, met a girl got engaged. Now, since all these wonderful things were happening to me, I came up with this brilliant idea. I said, you can go back out with your drugs just on Fridays and Saturdays for fun. Mm. So I started messing around with the drugs on the weekends instead of going out with her. Until one day I walked into my apartment and this young lady had a surprise waiting for me. She was sitting on my sofa with my ring in her hand, crying her eyes out. Mm. And when I walked into the apartment that day, she said, here, pal, here's your ring back get out of my life. She said, I'm sick and tired of watching you destroy yourself. She said, I'm sick and tired of watching you kill yourself. And I'm not going to let you destroy and kill me. When this young lady threw me out of her life, I had to do the toughest thing that I ever had to do as a man. And that is this. Three days later, I went over to an older woman's house crying like a baby. And I said to this lady, I said, I've got a drug problem. You see, when somebody goes to an adult and they say they got a drinking problem, a drugging problem, or maybe some other sort of problem, a lot of adults are going to give you a big lecture. Yep. A lot of adults might scream and yell at you or something like that. The woman that I went to that day did something so simple that doesn't cost one penny. She reached out to me. She said, that's okay. She gave me a hug and took me for help. Mm. Thus, that's what developed my program called do hugs, not drugs. And that's always my wardrobe. I, I wear the t-shirts wherever I go, do hugs, not drugs. Uh, you know, I run basketball camps. I, 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 you know, I've been speaking in schools for 30 years. I, now I'm speaking in churches, but you know, I, it, it, you know, that's, that hug saved my life. But she took me over to a young lady's house and in, that young lady introduced me to support groups.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. Now I went to these support groups for the wrong reason. I went because I wanted to get my girlfriend back. Okay. So I was I stayed clean for about 30 days and I was feeling good. And you know what? I felt so good that I said to myself, like a lot of addicts do, I feel so good. Guess what? I can start, I can control it again. So I went out and bought an eighth of cocaine for $250. I came back to my apartment, laid out one line, did that one line, and all those feelings, all those emotions, and all those that pain came back upon me. Just that quick. Wow. What, what I did with that $250 worth of cocaine, I went over and flushed that down the toilet. Wow. And I said to myself, I'd rather flush that down the toilet than flush my life down the toilet. And I went to a meeting that night for the first time in my life for the right reason. For me. Not for anybody else. For me. Because I had to get myself back.
0: Yep. Is that how you got clean and sober? Was it like a 12-step program?
1: Well, yeah, I went to a 12 step program and, and um, uh, you know, I would, I would go to the meetings, you know, I did what they said. You know, you know, I, I would go to meetings. I hear people saying, oh, well, I went back out there, you know, and they go, oh, welcome back. And I, I, I would say this. You know what? It's a matter of life and death, people. None of this welcome back crap. You know, when you go out, it's not a matter of when you get back, it's if you get back,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because we're not playing a game. And I didn't play games and some people at the meetings didn't like me because I spoke my mind, you know, be- because I was serious about my recovery. I surrendered. I gave it up and-, and I didn't want to be around anybody with it. And I said to myself, I don't want to go to meetings for the rest of my life, you know, because I want to have a life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so but see, see now what happened with me was for the first two years, you know, I would be driving down the road sometimes. And I'd say if I make a left hand turn, I could cop some drugs, but I would go home pick up the phone sometimes that weighs 500 pounds mm-hmm. but i'd pick up the phone and call somebody and sometimes just by dialing numbers even though nobody answered the phone just by dialing the numbers it took my mind off of the thought of using for that moment and then you know but there was still something different in my life and there was something different and missing in my life for those two years um i had uh it was on I met these two young ladies and they would keep on inviting me out to church. Okay. So it got to the point where I would see them and I would go in the other direction because I didn't want to hear any of that stuff at that time. But on January 29th, um, uh, 1989, I woke up and I went to that church where they invited me to. They had a guest speaker. His name was Jeff Fenholt, who used to be a lead singer for a group called Black Sabbath. Mm. He was their guest speaker talking about his drug addiction, his $15,000 a month apartment in New York, all these things. And at the end of that service, he had an altar call. OK, and, and I felt something talking at my heart. And I, I, I started looking around. I said, the packed auditorium. I said, what are these people going to think if I walk forward? And then finally, I said to myself, you know something? I need this Jesus. And what I did was I went up. Accepted the Lord into my heart as my personal savior. And my life has never been the same since. Wow. No lightning bolts came down and hit me in the head. You know, (laughs) I tell you what I did feel for the first time in my life. I felt something called inner peace. Mm. Okay. I felt this inner peace. And, 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 you know, as a matter of fact, I accepted the Lord the next five weeks in a row. Because, you know something, I know you don't have to do it now, but that's what I did because I said to myself, I never got anything right in my life and I want to make sure I get this right. <laughs> and then I put together a, a program, which is called Do Hugs Not Drugs, where I speak in schools. And, you know, I married the same girl that threw me out of her life.
0: I was going to ask you if you got her back. Uh, I was betting you did.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, she didn't throw me out of her life because she didn't love me. She just wanted
0: you to be clean and sober because she didn't want to lose you to drugs. I get that.
1: Yeah. 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 But you remember that guy that gave me those drugs and told me it would help me for two weeks? Well, he didn't tell me one thing. And a lot of people never tell this to people. What you stick in your body today can, might, and will affect your future kids. Now, I got married to the same girl that threw me out of her life. Uh, She got pregnant. And I did a lot of praying and crying during that pregnancy, hoping and pleading that my previous drinking and drugging wasn't going to affect our little child.
0: You are listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. The service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby.
1: On August the 6th at 6.49 in the morning, my wife and I had a beautiful baby girl. I went home from the hospital to get some sleep. Before my head hit the pillow, my telephone rang again. It was my wife on the other end of the line, screaming and crying that there's something wrong with our baby. There's something wrong with their baby. Um, when I hung up the phone that morning, I, as I'm walking away from that phone, I start to cry my heart out. I, I stopped and I looked up to God and I said, ha ha, you're testing me. I said, dear Lord, your will will be done. I trust in you. And I walked away from that phone laughing. If somebody would have seen me, they would have thought I was crazy. You see, our daughter was born with something called SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, sleep apnea, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. They had to hook her up up to a monitor for about eight weeks. And during those eight weeks, the buzzer went off six, seven, eight times a night. And what happens when that buzzer goes off, you got to run to the crib, not knowing if you're going to find a live baby or a dead one. And believe me, that wasn't fun. Well, you see, it doesn't end there. Seven years later, my wife and I had our second child on December 19th. On December 29th, we were sitting at 1.30 in the morning in our house watching TV with the baby in a little bassinet next to us. I looked down at her little child and I saw milk coming out of her mouth. So I went out to the kitchen, got a towel, came in and wiped her milk away. The next thing I know, she's starting to turn purple. Oh, my God. Okay. My wife runs the phone, screaming and crying, dialing 911. Hurry, hurry! Please get here. I pick up her little baby out of that bassinet, and all, all the stuff starts coming out of her nose and her mouth. And what I did was I held her up to God, and I said, "Please, God, you know, if you need someone, take me, not her, because she was dying in my hands. Ten days old. You know, she was born with reflux, and we didn't know it. We got her to the hospital." And, you know, everything, you know, both my daughters survived and both my daughters are living. But let me tell you something The I don't want anybody ever to go through the pain that it's still, you can see, right, it still yeah. bothers me today because <laughs> yeah. I feel so, so lucky and so blessed because I've been to so many funerals of kids, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, because they're doing drugs, they're huffing this, they're doing that. Yep. You know, and I see the parents sitting on those little sofas, crying their hearts out, because there's nothing that they can do because their son or daughter's laying in that little box. Yeah. You know, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Both my kids today, my daughter, my my first daughter that had this, uh, Sids is 31. She mm-hmm. has her two, two our two grandchildren now, a four year old granddaughter, uh, uh, Caroline, and a one year old uh, grandson, Asher. My other daughter is 24, 25 years old. She graduated from uh, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and she's out in Nashville, Tennessee. She's the one that was born with the reflux. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been real strict on my kids because speaking in schools, I know what's going down. Yep. 30 years ago, when I was speaking in schools, I would speak about heroin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People would look at me like I had two heads because back then they thought a heroin addict, was an African American laying in a gutter with a spike hanging out of their arms. Wake up people. Yep. Drugs do not discriminate. They don't care if you're black, white, yellow, pink. They don't care if you're short, tall, fat, or skinny. They don't care if you're from society Hill, Cherry Hill, blueberry Hill. They do not discriminate. And I've been to all kinds of funerals as a direct result of this. Yep. I, I, you know, I, the, the States have got me very upset that are legalizing marijuana for recreational usage.
0: Oh yeah. Don't get us started on that one now.
1: Okay. I like it because see, when I was a drug counselor at a high school, I, I worked at a high, a high school because when I was speaking in schools, I spoke at this one high school and they offered me a job as their drug counselor. Four years later, they caught, they sought me out because they saw how kids reacted to me. And, uh, so I went down there. I took the job. I was a drug counselor for 16 years at a Hamilton high school in New Jersey. And, um, uh, they removed me from the drug counseling position because I wouldn't break the law for the superintendent. Okay. And that's the truth. That's my f- personal feelings. And, uh, but so, excuse me for having the values and morals.
0: Yeah. Excuse but, you uh, for wanting kids to be sober. Excuse yeah. you for wanting kids to grow up clean and sober.
1: Excuse yeah, us want... for
0: putting that message out there.
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, you've heard of the Sam report, the smart approach to marijuana. Okay. It's the organization. I Okay, it's called SAM, Smart Approach to Marijuana. And there's this group, you know, but anyhow, they're anti-legalizing it all. So New Jersey just legalized uh, recreational usage. And I I called one of the senators in Jersey, and he wouldn't call me back. He usually calls me back, but he had his people call me back. And said, uh, I said, well, what do we do, follow the money? And they said, oh, no, there's too many people incarcerated because of marijuana. I says, couldn't you uh, lower the penalty and raise the fines? You know, I said, are you familiar with this organization called SAM? I said, you know, in Colorado, the first state to legalize it, uh, the first year, traffic deaths went through the roof. 38, uh, 38% increase in hospitalizations directly due to marijuana. 32% increase in emergency room visits directly due to marijuana. Um, uh, you know, and I said to them, I said, you know something? You got every drug dealer in New Jersey jumping up and down. What do you mean? I said, I used to deal drugs. You know, I'm going to buy my first batch from you in that little vial that you're selling me. And then I'm going to buy it off someone else that's selling it for a cheaper price and just fill that vial up every week. You know, so you're going to sell for 60 ounce. I'm going to sell for 40. And guess what? I'm going to make a lot of money. But, you know, here you are putting the safety and welfare of the people of our state in jeopardy because because of money and big tobacco is behind this. You know, all these, you know, uh, multi-million dollar companies are behind this. They don't care about your kids until one of their kids die, until something happens to their kid. And then they want to sue everybody.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, we're going to get some flashback on this one. But you know what? I don't care, Al. We've said it over and over again. It's a really bad idea to legalize marijuana. Not talking about medical marijuana for people who need it. Talking about recreational marijuana. Bad idea.
1: Yes. Now you say that about the, the um, medical uh, marijuana. When I was a drug counselor, I was against it because I said I knew where it would go, Mm -hmm. okay? Legalize this, then boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. Well, my mother-in-law had cancer and they didn't tell her to go home and smoke a doobie, go home and smoke a joint. They gave her a pill called Marinol, which is made from marijuana and you just swallow it. You don't, you know, smoke a joint or nothing like that and that helps ease the pain. There you you go. Yes, it's good for glycoma. It's good for a few different things, but, you know... uh, um, they also have new research on this. Smoking marijuana is directly related to schizophrenia, mm-hmm. psychosis, mm-hmm. suicidality, yep. depression, anxiety. So you want to let people get more mental illnesses by smoking this. By and, and, and what does it do to kids thinking, well, listen, they've been telling us marijuana has been no good for years. I guess they're lying about cocaine. I guess they're lying about heroin. I guess they're lying about meth. I guess they're lying about pills. I guess, you know, and here we go. And and, and then with the fentanyl issue, you know, yep. I, I, oh, man. Yep. You know,
0: yep.
1: It, it just, it drives me crazy.
0: So Yeah. So, Al, you mentioned, I think, when we first started talking that you don't have a website yet. Yes. But how do people reach you if they want you to come and talk to their school or talk to whatever organization they have? How do people reach you?
1: Well, I, I have an email address. Okay. <laughs> okay. And the, the email address is the number three two. Okay. Big Al at comcast.net.
0: Okay. Was thirty-two okay. your number on the generals?
1: Uh, I got thirty-three because I didn't have thirty-two, but it was my my favorite number all along when I was in college and everything. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. yes. 32 then,
0: Big Al at Comcast.net. Cause I think that's important okay. because you know, people need to hear your message. And it sounds like, I mean, just based on you talking to us today, it sounds like you are a great speaker. Um, I didn't have to prompt you very much. You just well,
1: tell I, mean, your... I apologize being long-winded. But you know no, what? you're not in...
0: long-winded at all, Al. Not I get, at all. I
1: get, listen, I get into this because, like I said, when, when I, go, I go to funerals all the time and, and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, I wish I could have done something. I talk to parents about enabling their kids, you know, about, you know, you have a right to drug test your kids. Uh, if, if the wind's blown wrong one day, you test them, you know, and you have a right to search their rooms because guess what? If you're paying a rent and, and, you know, and if you find air freshener underneath their bed, it's not because they're breaking wind all night. OK, it's, it's because there's other issues involved, you know, and, and, and the vaping. Uh, can oh. I touch on that for a second?
0: Oh, yeah. Go for it.
1: OK. These kids don't realize that, first of all, they think it's safe. You know, when you vape, you're inhaling toxic metals, tin, chromium, uh, aluminum. Um, you're also, they're, they're doing marijuana in the vapes and the THC level in the vape marijuana is at 12% to 95%. Okay. Uh, you know, also these people are putting fentanyl in the marijuana. They're putting fentanyl in the vapes and it only takes three little grains of sand of fentanyl to kill a human being. And, And, and you get this thing called popcorn lung, you know? It, it's, they call it popcorn lung, not because it makes your lungs look like popcorn. It's because, you know, those microwavable bags with popcorn in it. When you microwave it, it releases, releases this this chemical, uh, diacetyl or something like that. It, it is. And, and that does lung damage and it, it restricts your airways. And eventually, you know, you're, if you can't have open airways, you're not going to be able to breathe. And guess what? If you can't breathe, you're going to die eventually. These long-term effects of all this stuff, especially the you know, and these tobacco companies know what they're doing. They're putting flavors and all this other kind of stuff, and the flavors itself is very harmful to you. <laughs> it's very harmful to you, and, and, and it just drives me crazy when I when I see all this stuff going on in our America that used to be free. In our America, yep. uh, and, and destroying, coming right up through that border. In Mexico, whether you want to hear it or not, you know, and coming from a area called China, and that's how they're destroying our country. They're going to do it from the inside out by killing our youth, destroying our brains and doing that. And that's yep. what that, that's what that's what's happening.
0: You know, Al, I don't think you're long winded at all. I think you make unbelievable points that we've made over and over again on the podcast. And it needs to continue to be said and parents have got to be vigilant. You know, when when I have in the past talked to a parent who just had no idea their kid was doing drugs, you know, I get that, but we have to be more vigilant than that. We just do because there's so much pressure out there for kids to vape or, you know, smoke or or, or what have you. And I think that you make really, really good points. Al, I I can't thank you enough for talking to us today, for telling us your story, which is a very emotional story. And your story is going to resonate with people who are listening. And all of the points that you make, we agree with every single one.
1: Can I just touch on the parents for a second?
0: Absolutely.
1: What, I, what I, w- I want the parents to do is not let their kid come in the house and say, and say hi and go upstairs and isolate. Okay. Make your kids sit down with you when they come in at night. Okay. Because then you can sit down. If they know that they're going to have to sit down with you and talk, it's going to cut down the odds of them coming home high or drunk or whatever the situation might be. And, and, and because just saying hi and going upstairs and isolating is very, very uh, not healthy and dangerous. Uh, have that five o'clock dinner time, remember, that we used to have. Uh, sit around with your kids. Don't, you know, um, don't let your kid call you and say, Mom, I'm staying over so-and-so's house tonight. No, 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 no. Uh, let me talk to their parents. You know, don't be afraid to do all these things. Don't be afraid to check on your kids. I had my, my da- first daughter told me she hated me when she was growing up 16 years old. I said, honey, I'm not in this world to be your friend. I'm in this world to be your parent. You know, it's, it, you know, but, you know, she understands, she, she, you, know, and, you know, now we have a different type of relationship, of course. But, you know, when kids are growing up, you know, and, and, and please, I hate it when parents say all kids do it. No, they don't. No, they do not. And that doesn't and, uh, make it right. Yes, even if yes. it's
0: true, it doesn't make it right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I lost an, I, my niece died from a drug overdose in Vegas. Oh. Uh, I had my uh, my, my uh, brother in law die from from uh, suicide. Um, y- you know, I, I've I've experienced in our own family. Uh, you know, uh, oh by the way, the lady that gave me that hug, she ended up being my mother in law. It was my wife's mother. Oh and wow! Then, you know, uh, you, know I, you know, I just have this feeling in my heart for moms. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes when I was such a good speaker years ago, when I was going in high schools, a lot of schools didn't want me because I would get kids to open up and talk about their problems. Shame on me. Look where we are. Look at the mess we're in right now. Now I'm also speaking in churches. I have my spiritual testimony and I adjust my testimony, my speech to whom I'm speaking with.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, uh,
1: I, I I've spoke rehabs, detoxes. I spoke to corporations, you know, I'll speak anywhere. Yep. And 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 my message is appropriate for everybody and and uh, uh I'll give, I I want to give my phone number too because I I don't care. Perfect. Um, my, my, my phone number is um 856 520 1500. That's my cell.
0: Okay. And since
1: I'm still since I'm still in the 60s, I do have a landline too. <laughs> <laughs> and that Go number is that number is
0: 856-478-6030. What I will do, Al, is when I do the video, I'll put up like a slide that'll have your email and both of those phone numbers uh-huh. so that people can see it. Good. And um, I will also put it in the description when I when I post the audio version because I think that your services are needed, Al, in a big way. Big Al.
1: Thank you very much. Now I have, a, I don't know, you, you looked me up on the internet, did you? Uh, there on YouTube, uh, there's a, a, a promo. It's about five minutes and 13 seconds long. That's what I send out for. Um, uh, I can text that to you. Um, okay. Um, do I have your text? Yeah. You I have yourself. Uh, I have a, I think I have
0: a. I'll make sure you, you have it when we're done with the interview. Oh, I lost you. Uh Oh, I lost the video on you. Let me
1: see if I come back here. Uh, <laughs> okay, here we are.
0: Okay, there we a, go. I will get your... A, I was will... a phone
1: call. I was a phone call from California. I'm supposed to do an interview with the, uh, oh. <laughs> a, not an interview, but uh, uh, it's called uh, Solace, um, Care Solace. Okay. Something like that. Uh, they have a uh, 400 high schools that they have counselors in. And
0: uh, okay. So I just, uh, Well, let me let you go then. Thank you so much for being, thank you for being with us today. And I will make sure that your contact information is readily available on um, both the audio and the video version. And, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, Al. You are fighting the good fight. And I'm so happy that your daughters survived and they're doing as well as they are. And thank you. it it has a happy ending. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much.
1: much. God bless you all. And I'm going to text that uh, promo to Steve. And then we'll, you know, if you like it, spread it to some churches, please. Perfect. I'll (laughs) I'll do that. God bless you. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Big Al Zolik. And I'm going to give you his contact information again before I end the podcast. His email is 32bigal at comcast.net. His cell phone is 856 520 1500. His landline is 856 478 6030. And he's available to speak. And if you enjoyed his interview today and you have any sort of an organization church, school, PTA, community organization that would benefit from him speaking, then reach out to him. We'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.